Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crimes. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Dawn. And we know there's a lot of excitement about this week's episode, uh, Lizzie Borden. We're going to be covering her crime that she was accused of, as well as the trial. So this is actually going to break into another two-part episode. But before we get into the story, Gracia, do you want to walk us through the drink of the week? Excellent. Yes, we did a rosé punch today because we were going for something a little lower in alcohol than normal. Damn. With the, <laughs> It is sad, <laughs> but we were looking for a low alcohol option, and this was it. Uh, we, it is a full bottle of rosé wine. We did a dry wine, so it wasn't too sweet. It uses blueberries, frozen pink lemonade, and then you top it off with some Sprite. We use the zero sugar Sprite to kind of balance off some of the sugar from the lemonade. Yeah, and um, if you have any questions about how to pick like a drier rosé, it's the lighter in color in a bottle of rosé is the drier it is. And I think if we had gotten like a real sweet rosé, this might have been too much to handle. I agree because it already is a little sweet, but like Jill and I were both saying, this is a perfect summer cocktail sitting by the pool. Yeah. It's yummy. Absolutely. And um, we really struggled to find a mocktail that matched with a rosé wine because sometimes with wines... You know, you can go for the non-alcoholic version, but it tends to be really gross. So um, Dave is drinking a sugar-free Sprite. <laughs> you know, Sprite is okay, even with the sugar. It, it, it's okay. It's not like something I drink a lot. But without the sugar, yeah, Sprite is really nasty. <laughs> and now we'll break for a commercial. <laughs> Well, I was thinking it would taste like soda water. When I was pouring it, I'm like, this is going to taste like soda water to him. And he's going to be like, this sucks, David guys. does not like these things. Um, however, we did pour it into a martini glass so he could feel fancy while drinking his disgusting slop. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I promise, it'll be a great mocktail. It'll be like the feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have mocktails next week. Yeah. It's starting to look like this needs to be cocktails, no alcohol, beer, and crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Merlot, because as always, Dad doesn't drink these fruity tooty drinks so he has a bottle of merlot real man <laughs> all right so i think we're ready to get started so dave let's hear it all right so we're talking about the borden murders and so did lizzie actually commit the double murder of her parents are there plausible explanations to the deaths of abby and andrew borden you'll see shows documentaries movies and the majority will say there's only one possible suspect, but is that really true? We're going to look at the story behind Lizzie Borden. We're going to look at the actual facts. We're going to talk about which stories about her are actually rumors that really aren't substantiated, because there's quite a lot of them. And we're going to try and give you the actual facts of the Borden case. We're also going to... Do this almost as if you were following the news of the time. So we're going to give you the information that comes out in the case as it would have come out back in 1892. So, but before we get too involved with Borden's actual murder scene, I'm going to talk a little bit about the background of the case, the background of the area, and uh, what it actually was like to live in Fall River in 1892, what it was like to be a Borden in 1892. 
Well-documented. We love Fall River on the show. Love yeah. Fall River. So we went down there. We should there. get those shirts to say, I love Fall S- River. <laughs> we went down there yesterday. And, you know, when you drive in Fall River, no wonder they have so many murders. The streets there are just so hard to figure out. I, I, I'm surprised they don't, like, have a road rage incident every other day. You just don't hear about it because it's so common. They're like, eh. So. We could be travel agents for... <laughs> yeah, we really could. You know, like if there was a zit on your ass that just popped at the wrong time, you'd call it Fall River. <laughs> oh, 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 Holy. <laughs> Let's get going right away, guys. Like, I think right off the bat. I think we just lost an audience. <laughs> yeah, actually, we probably should edit that out. Yeah. No way. No, no way. It's pretty funny. <laughs> We're not editing that out. By the way, I checked. No subscribers for my IP addresses associated with Okay, so and they probably feel the same way. Like, let's be honest. It is a a tough town. They are trying to improve it. Um, I suggest they start with their traffic. Um, (laughs) Less anger issues. (laughs) Yes. So, but in 1892, um, Fall River was not that nice of a place at that point either. What you had in Fall River was a lot of classism. You had the Borden family. Now, the majority of the Borden family actually founded Fall River. And Andrew Borden, um, however, was not part of the good part of the family. His father was a fish peddler. So Andrew becomes a self-made millionaire. um, But he chooses to still live in what is referred to in Fall River as the Flats. And the flats are the lower to middle class area that's kind of in the center area of the town. And the wealthy people live up on the hills. Fall River is situated by the, I think this is pronounced Quichichon River. And it was a great place for textiles. So you had a lot of textile mills. And of course, that brought in a lot of immigrants. And so I wonder where the name the flats comes with because Cleveland has a poor section. They also call it the flats. Yeah, I'm not. So it's sure. kind of interesting. Yeah. I wonder where if the it two got its name. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so Fall River is one of those towns where, you know, it brought in a lot of immigrants and of course Irish immigrants. Now the Irish Catholics and the English Protestants do not get along. If you're not aware of this, and that was especially true in the 1800s and you had portuguese people as well all kind of forming in fall river and you know these groups did not really see eye to eye with each other so this is an area with a lot of tension so well let's talk about a little bit more about the actual bordens so our man of the hour is named andrew jackson borden he was born in september 22nd 1820 And he was the son of a fish peddler. He was not from the wealthy Borden side of the family that basically started Fall River. And he takes up carpentry, becomes a casket maker. So as he develops some money through being a casket maker, he starts to invest and buy properties, becomes basically a kind of a slumlord. He buys very cheap properties, doesn't maintain them, and charges as much rent as he possibly can. So he's a typical 
kind of businessman, starts to get involved in the banks, and he becomes the vice president of one of the largest banks in Fall River, and he also sits on the board of three other banks. So he is very much one of the people by the end of his life that if you were a small business owner looking for any type of money, if you were looking for any type of loan, you'd be dealing with Andrew Borden. So Andrew Borden was, even though a guy from the flats, he was a man with a lot of power. And And probably had a lot of enemies. He probably does. He is known to also have a very interesting way about him, whereas if you are somebody who is also a businessman, he tends to treat you very fairly. But if you are an immigrant or you are, you know, somebody he thinks is beneath him, he'll hire you to, you know, do something at his house and then kind of, and we've heard the story about another individual, (laughs) then say you (laughs) didn't do exactly the way he wanted it done. So he's either not going to pay you or pay you far less than what you had agreed to make. And so it's important to keep that in mind about Andrew Borden. When you think about this case, that he did things that maybe could have gotten him some enemies over the years. So, but let's go back in his life on Christmas Day of 1846. He's going to marry his first wife. Her name is Sarah Anthony Jane Morse. And together they'll have three children, Emma, Alice, and Lizzie. Unfortunately, Alice died of what's believed to be hydrocephalus, so... When Lizzie was about two, her mother has unfortunately passed on. Mr. Borden is then going to marry his second wife, and her name is Abby Duffy Gray Borden. She's the first murder victim in our case. She was what they called a spinster by the time she marries Andrew. She's in her 30s, so she needed a husband. And Andrew, I think, really needed somebody to take on the maternal tasks of his family. So it seemed more of a marriage of convenience. It's pretty well documented that even when they were alone together, Andrew refers to Abby as Mrs. Borden. So That's um, hot. Mm. (laughs) Lots of love right there. Lots of love. (laughs) It it, it seems like a very uh, strange marriage, but... Let's talk about the Borden children. So the oldest is Emma Lenora Borden, and she is born in 1851, so about she was a teenager when her mother died. So she was made to promise that she would take care of Lizzie like a mother, and she does. In fact, throughout Lizzie's childhood, Emma is definitely the more of the mother than Abby will ever be. And it seems to some degree that Emma was kind of territorial on that. So if Abby even made attempts, Emma would kind of take exception. So Abby and Emma have a much worse relationship, believe it or not, than Lizzie and Abby do. Emma is kind of a quiet person. Lizzie is actually known to be outgoing and pretty charismatic. So Lizzie was the youngest, as we've already mentioned, and she is Sarah Borden's daughter. She is not Abby Borden's daughter. Lizzie is not quiet. She's 
usually described to be a talkative humorous, especially prior to the trial. She's kind of an outgoing person. Lizzie seems to be the type of person that a little bit narcissistic in the way that if you're if you're useful to Lizzie at this given point, she likes you well enough. But if you're not really of use or you're interfering with her, then she's that's when you'll have a problem. Um, she wanted to be daddy's center of attention, that's for sure. She did, yeah. And Abby really doesn't seem to want to be Andrew's center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> he does She's like, sound a bit like a douchebag, like a, a president I know. <laughs> now, their maid is Irish, but yes. do they call the maid by her real name? I don't know. No. What's her real name? Her real name is Bridget Sullivan. Do they call her Gingy? They call her Maggie. 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 Even though they, they know that's not her name. <laughs> so the two daughters, when um, Bridget is hired, and there's a lot of different stories about this, but their, their prior maid was named Maggie. So one version of the story is they're basically telling this girl that they just hired that, you know, maids are pretty much a dime a dozen, so I'm not even going to bother learning what your name is. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. That's literally what I was thinking as soon as you said it. I'm like, her previous name is Maggie? Is it too yeah. much to learn a new one? Like, but it's horrible. also believed all that Maggie? it was possibly their way of kind of irritating the father. Like, kind of like, you keep bringing in all these maids, so we're just not even going to bother with them. <laughs> and they were trying, it was more against the father. Bridget will testify that she never took exception to being referred to by the wrong name, but I can't imagine she didn't mind it at all. Well, she, well, there, she was there four years. Right? Yeah, yeah. Three. Yeah, she yeah. definitely minded. She just didn't say anything because why? She's like, it doesn't matter to me. It's not very hard. And Bridget Sullivan leaves Fall River after the murder. She goes into Montana and ends up marrying a, a gentleman and basically living out the rest of her life like a relatively normal person would, or as close to normal as you can be in Montana. Mm. What did you tell me um, yesterday that people didn't even know? Yeah, she made a very much a point to keep quiet about who she, who she was. She right. did not want the attention. She does not like the celebrity of being a, a witness in the Borden murder. <laughs> um, there's plenty of people who do. We'll talk about that. And, uh, you know, but she doesn't. And in, in fact, even most of her close friends only found out at her funeral yeah. that she was the maid that was involved in the Borden murder. So Bridget Sullivan was, let's talk about her. She was the Borden's maid. She's known to believe we that she was about 25 at the time she does not know her own birthday very little is known about her childhood but when she was asked her birthday in the testimony she doesn't know let's not judge because i didn't really know me and craig's wedding day and got that wrong a few times we're gonna get into one of the most interesting people that i find his name is john vinicum morse and so mr morse is sarah's brother andrew's first wife he maintains a relationship throughout the years with Andrew Borden. He's a relatively wealthy person, not as wealthy as Andrew. He owns some farms. He is a butcher. He makes a surprise visit the night before the murder. The day of the murder, he has an alibi so good, it's almost like he knew he'd need one. And he has a very bizarre story about why he's seen in the backyard, which we'll get into. So John is the uncle. 
and he is definitely somebody that was originally considered a suspect by the people around there because he has a very interesting story and it may not quite add up. So he has several businesses. He's not as rich as Andrew, but he's wealthy. And he's, you know, certainly somebody who we could speculate might have had reasons to want to get rid of Andrew. Let's go over the names of the cast of characters that we're going to hear about a lot over the next couple hours. Um, One... (laughs) <laughs> well, a couple of hours, however long it takes. However, next couple months, weeks, next hours, couple of whatever. We're not well, leaving this room till it's done. Damn it! <laughs> so, Alice Russell is a 41-year-old woman who lives next door, or lives around the corner, rather, from the Borden family. Uh, she's the same age as Emma, and she is a very dear friend to both Emma and Lizzie. Now, she is the second person that's going to arrive at the house when the murders take place to comfort Lizzie. And she is going to become one of the central figures in this trial because she is going to be the one that tells us about the notorious blue dress. It's always a blue dress. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking I should you women in your blue mind. Dresses. Yeah. I have a couple blue dresses. I'm thinking. Monica should have just said it was paint. <laughs> I happened to lean against something. That's what it was. Oh. I can't wait to hear. Can't wait to hear what was on this. This thing is truck out that much. Anyway. <laughs> Adelaide Churchill is going to be the first person to enter the boarding house. She saw Lizzie in obvious distress through the window and she comes in and she's going to give some testimony. There's some interesting things that she'll say. Dr. Seabury Bowen is the Borden's family doctor, and he is the first to examine the body of Andrew Borden. He is also the guy that prescribes Lizzie morphine, mm. and Lizzie gets really whoop, high whoop. every day for after the murder. Dr. William Dolan is the one who actually performs the autopsies at the crime scene. Then we have a few police officers that their names are going to come up quite a bit. One is George Allen, and he's the first cop to arrive at the scene. He basically is going to be one of the people that questions Lizzie, but not in the manner that he suspects her, just kind of asking her questions, Mm -hmm. you know, routine kind of thing. Not an interrogation. Yeah. But then we're going to have... A, another person named Francis Wixon, and he is the deputy sheriff, and he is also going to question Lizzie in a way that's more empathetic. Now, it's important to note that they're not playing good cop, bad cop, per se, but there is going to be a inspector by the name of Patrick Doherty. Then there's a man named John Walsh, and he is he's going to photograph the victims per the instructions of Dr. Dolan. These will be the first photographs of a crime scene ever introduced in an American court. Ooh, that's cool. So, I didn't know that. Yep. That's a gem. Yep. Yeah. Hiram C. Harrington is Andrew's brother-in-law. Now, this is this guy 
is definitely somebody we'll talk about a little bit next week. He is clearly a compulsive liar. He is the first person that both Emma and Lizzie will mention when they're asked, does your father have any enemies? They oh. say, Hiram C. Harrington. <laughs> now, Hiram goes to the news. Of course, the news is really going to cover the story. And he's telling the papers everything. David, when do we get to the blood, man? <laughs> okay. So chop, chop. we're about to. Where's um, the egg? Chop, chop. All right. So let's talk about. Let's all right, talk about we'll, the egg. We'll speed up to the murder. Okay. All right. So the Burnham murder takes place on the morning of August 4th, 1892. As we all know, the victims are going to be Andrew Jackson Borden and his wife, Abby Duffy Gray, mm -hmm. at their home on 2nd Street. The only other persons known to be present at the exact time of the murders at this house are Lizzie Borden and Bridget Sullivan, the maid. Which, by the way, for knowing the exact time of the murders, like this isn't a CSI with all the equipment, right? So how do they know the exact time of the murders? That's a good question, but they did have markers. They, they did. Okay. did. Yeah. yeah. So as we'll talk about, they could tell that Mr. Borden had just died when they entered the house. Because he was still like gooey or the something? The blood. blood. Still the blood. blood. Yeah. Still okay. Yeah. yeah. They know so. he came home at a yeah. quarter of 11. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll we'll piece how they put the timeline. We don't have, like, the exact minute that they were killed, but we can piece the timeline as, as well as we can fix the time. Yeah. Uh, so we do have some time markers. Yeah, so. we know they ate at 7. Uh, that, that uncle was the first up, and then it was the uncle, and it was uh, Abby and, and Andrew ate together. Mm -hmm. We know that. Yeah. Lizzie was late to it. Yeah, so... Um, at any rate, so John Morse had been visiting, but he is not home as far as we know. And we'll talk about that more probably next week. But John Morse goes out. So the morning starts. John, as my father just mentioned, is the first to wake up. Andrew will wake up just after. He'll carry his slop pail into the backyard. <laughs> Nice. And it, yeah, well, he uses it to fertilize too. Oh, that's so a good it saves idea. You money, it's so. a great way to kill pigeons. It's <laughs> a great way to spread malaria. <laughs> so he's out in the backyard dumping out his slop pail. And he comes in by the time he comes back in. Then you have his wife, Abby, has also presented herself. The maid, Bridget, has been told what to provide them for breakfast it's going to be the cold mutton mm -hmm. some johnny cakes and uh, some cookies now, how old was that mutton so in testimony we find out it was purchased on tuesday okay so tuesday. it's thursday when the murder comes couple, yeah, not it's bad. only a couple days yeah so yeah but if they didn't have like running water did they have like an ice box so or they something? did have some sort of ice box so oh yeah that's right they had yeah. Ice yeah so yeah i mean it, it it's possible they got sick from the, from the meat. And there's a lot of stories, like the legend of Lizzie Borden shows the muttons all moldy and whatever. It's like, and he says, serve it. Want not, waste not, eat it. I'm eating that. I like him. Yeah. What do you mean, Craig? <laughs> so, but um, no, um, no, there's, there's testimony that it wasn't actually that old. Um, so, but it could have been 
left out. I mean, we don't know it wasn't right. the bad. Mo- I mean, we don't just you know don't who know. said it was bad was the doctor. Yeah. When, when Abby went across the street to the doctor saying something's trying to poison us, and the doctor uh, asked her some questions about what have you been eating and what have you. And when she told him about the lamb, mutton. Well, I guess that was my question is what difference does it make if they had food poisoning? Because they're being hatcheted to death, right? Yeah. And yes. It, it really You're is. You're anticipating one of the... the trial, but yes. Yeah. That came yeah. Up with the trial. Yeah. And... One of the things is that we do know they weren't poisoned. So, whatever the yes. source of the food poisoning was, whether it was bad meat or, I mean, every family sometimes eats something that goes rotten. So, but so. they, okay. But so they were thinking that somebody was trying to poison them. And that's why this we'll, is important. We'll get into that. Yes. Okay. So it's a little confusing. A little bit of a red herring. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> all right. So she, they serve breakfast. Now, uh, Bridget is also not feeling well. So after Bridget makes the breakfast, she goes outside to vomit. And she's in the backyard vomiting for most of the morning. She comes back in. Abby instructs her that she'll be washing the windows inside and out. (laughs) (laughs) When you're done throwing up, I've got some shit for you to do. Get to work. (laughs) Yep. And so Abby supposedly pretty much starts off with this task. John is going to, at the same time as Andrew, leave the house. And John is going to go to the post office to mail some letters, and he is going to visit his niece and nephew, who live a few miles from town, from them in town. So that's where John's headed. Lizzie now comes downstairs. She tells Bridget that she is not wanting her breakfast. She may have had a cookie, according to Lizzie, and a cup of coffee, according to Lizzie, but that's all she's... Do you mean according to Maggie? No, according no. to Lizzie. Well, oh, Lizzie so Lizzie, said that's all Lizzie, she Lizzie yeah. says this about herself. Yes. Oh, in that's right. We have we have an inquest coming, and then after the and this, so this testimony coming not only from a trial here. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So according to her, she might have eaten a cookie. She might have eat, had a cup of Ain't coffee. No way she was eating that mutton. Uh. But she didn't want to eat the mutton. She didn't want to eat any type of. They also had fruits. They had Johnny cakes. She didn't want to partake in any of any of that. She just might have had a cookie, according to her. Okay. So she didn't feel well. She had been sick. So now at this point, it's a little after 8. Abby is going to go. It's actually just a little bit before 9. Abby is going to go upstairs to start straightening out some bedrooms, including the guest room where John Vinica Morris has been sleeping in. The maid is going to go outside to start on her task of washing the windows. And then Lizzie is going to start on some of her tasks, which is going to include ironing, some various other Mm -hmm. things. She claims she went downstairs for a few minutes to get some stuff. So Lizzie's going to get some handkerchiefs. She's going to start tending to them. She goes downstairs a few times to use the bathroom, the latrine, and that's basically what she's up to. The maid is right now engaging in a conversation with a maid who lives next door named Mrs. Kelly. And right about this time, 
is when we believe Abby Borden is going to die. So mm. we're at like 9.30? We're, yeah, we're between 9 and 9.30 okay. right now. Mm-hmm. Now, a little while later, Mr. Borden is going to start banging on the door. The maid hears him, and she lets him in. She's having a lot of trouble. They have three locks on this door. One is a spring lock, right of the normal handle. But then there's bolt locks, and both bolt locks had been engaged, and this was not expected. Mm -hmm. Generally, Mr. Borden would have just locked the regular door so he could use his key to get back into the house. The maid's having trouble with it. She claims she said Pashwa, and Lizzie laughed at her from at the top of the stairs. And this is actually very important. We'll get to this later why this is so important. But at any rate, she ends up letting Andrew in. He's carrying some mail. Lizzie asks him if he happens to have any mail for her. He tells her he does not. He then proceeds to go to his bedroom for a few minutes, comes back downstairs, and at this point, Lizzie starts talking to Maggie about a sale that they're having on dresses Mm -hmm. at a dress shop that's, well, dress material, rather, at a dress shop down nearby. The maid says she might have one, but she's not going to be going out today. And Lizzie suggests to the maid that she might go lie down if she's not feeling so well before she makes a noontime meal. This is right around 11 o'clock. The maid goes upstairs, and the maid says that she lied down fully clothed on her, to her bed, and she heard the town hall chime 11. 11, so there's a marker. Okay. There's a time. It's now 11. She says... Somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes later, she hears Lizzie screaming for her to come down. Mm-hmm. She comes down, and Lizzie tells her that father has been stabbed and that she needs to go get a doctor. Mm-hmm. She goes to Dr. Bowen's house. He lives across the street. He is not there yet, and he is at a house call. We'll actually find out which house call this was in a week. Yeah. So she comes, uh, the maid comes back to Lizzie. Lizzie is waiting in the doorway, the screen door area. And we'll talk about this because this keeps coming up. Why didn't Lizzie flee? Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely put pictures out on the <clears throat> website of, of the house, the doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have all those pictures. Okay. So Lizzie is at the rear doorway of the house, the rear screen door, so she can observe. So if she was to, somebody was to have attacked her, she could easily just open the door and ran. Mm -hmm. So she's not fleeing the house, but she is in a place where she could easily have escaped. Mm -hmm. And so she comes back to Lizzie, tells him that Mr. Bowen, Dr. Bowen, rather, is not available. And she then is told to go get Alice Russell, who is a very good friend of Lizzie's. Now, what's very interesting, right behind their house, there is another doctor mm-hmm. that lives there, but he is a Portuguese immigrant. Oh, I so get it. So they won't, <laughs> like... They let them be doctors? No, yeah, they wouldn't. They, they, like, there's another doctor right there, but we won't go to him because uh, of... We're just going to wait in yeah. line for the white doctor? <laughs> yeah, so... Can you imagine? Yeah. So she goes and starts to head down towards to get Alice Russell. We're going to fix some times in a second. And at this point, uh, a neighbor lady and little old widow named Adelaide Churchill, is coming back to her house. And she sees Lizzie in very obvious distress through the screen door. She says, Lizzie, what's the matter? 
Now, it's very important what Lizzie tells her. Mother and father have been killed. So she actually, Lizzie, this is incriminating to Lizzie at this point. I yes, yeah, she. This wow. is what Adelaide Churchill will testify. Her testimony on some statements becomes very interesting. Hmm. She basically says, "Yeah," or she says, "My father's been killed." And then when she's asked about the mother to get it more specific, I think she went out, but I think she came home and she's dead too. David, can I ask you a question here? <laughs> <clears throat> When this woman, Mrs. Churchill, made these statements about what Abby said, when did she make those statements? At the preliminary hearing. Oh, okay. So it was some time had elapsed. Some time has elapsed. We'll t- yeah, and we'll talk about the two hearings. Okay. So. Well, I have a question. So she said that she saw uh, Lizzie in distress, but did she see Lizzie, like, covered in blood or with any no. blood on her outfit? Which I think if you saw, like, no, your father, you'd probably, that. like, yeah. touch him to s- or shake him or something. Him. Yeah. No, she does not have any blood on her. Her hair Unless is... you're us, because I wouldn't touch a dead body just in case. So Lizzie says that she wouldn't even enter the room when she... Well, how does she know he's stabbed? Stepped in. You'd have to be in that house. She could easily look... She, yeah. she says she was... She heard a distressed sound. Lizzie claims to have been in the barn and have heard some sort of distressed sound. Came back in and... So if you enter the rear of the house, you're in the kitchen, and you can then proceed into the dining room and then proceed into the sitting room in which Mr. Borden Borden is in. She says she just basically looked in through the entrance of the sitting room and saw we did too significant yesterday. blood. Yeah. Made yeah. sense. Yeah. Really? So you Again, don't... no hallways, right? <clears throat> one room up against another. Right. Yeah. One door leads to the other. Yeah. But she's in the barn, so she activates her Batman hearing sensors to hear a distress. She says she sen- peeks yeah. around the corner and realizes, although she only sees blood, that one, he's dead, and two, he's been stabbed. So, and this is the interesting thing. She tells, they, they are, and there's different testimony about what Lizzie specifically said. She tells Maggie, father's been stabbed. And he's mm-hmm. been hurt. Right. You know, she tells though Hurt Churchill, and stabbed are two different things, though. Yeah. True story. Yeah. yeah. And she tells Churchill, though, according to Adelaide Churchill, mm-hmm. she tells him he's dead. Yeah. Um, so th- that is an interesting discrepancy. Because Dr. Bowen has not arrived yet. Right. Well, well, picture this, though. One of his eyeballs is laying on his cheekbone. Okay. So if I look around the corner and I see my father and his eyeballs on the cheekbone, there's nothing but blood. Right. Right. I could assume he was dead. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I saw Mike's eyeball out of his body. Ew. You're in the oh, car- when you had that fight with him, I heard about that. You tried to beat the crap out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The car accident. His eye—that's why he oh. has plates all right here. Yeah. He, um, the car landed on his head, and this whole side of his head was gone. So yeah. I saw the inside you of his what? brain. Very much like Mr. Borden. It was one side. Yeah. yeah, I saw the inside of his brain, and his eyeball was hanging down here, and his <sighs> jaw had totally disconnected and was hanging here. So as he was trying to talk to us, it oh. looked like it was trying to move, but it couldn't. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, but like, gross. I saw his eyeball literally dangling from oh. his. I would say that if I was already seen his inside. Well, also, Good. like Lizzie may have gone into like 
I but mean, I don't talking. know. So she's peeking around the corner and she's like, oh my, his eyeball is dangling outside well, of Well, she didn't say anything about the I'm the one who's. But you know what I mean, yeah. though? Yes. Like, you know. wouldn't even go closer? Like, at least go closer yeah. and be like, Dad. This all well, seems so dad, a far fetched to me so far. We don't know exactly how close she went. Yeah. She just says she looked into, into the inner, inner area of the sitting room, which is where the body is. And now. If you were to picture hitting somebody 11 times in the head with a hatchet, there would have been very obvious signs that he might be deceased. We'll put up the pictures, but if you look at the pictures, you're going to think he's dead. Yeah. I mean, there's blood like... So she would yeah. have seen him more from the other angle, so she would not necessarily have seen his face if we assume she didn't do it, I think obviously. she could see him top down. Yeah, so... I think so. Yeah, I, think I so. mean... But. One of the things that bothered me about the guide, if you don't mind my bringing this up, this pissed me off. <laughs> anyway. The guide um, on the tour. Underneath Borden's head is his folded up coat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? He, he, had, he had one of those Prince Albert jackets. Now, Borden was known to be a guy that wouldn't pay extra money to clean anything. Mm-hmm. No way he was going to use it as a pillow. This is what the guide was trying to tell me. He did. He did not. He hung that up. As a matter of fact, that was part of the testimony mm-hmm. that'll come up in the trial. He was seen hanging it up before he laid down. Oh. So who the hell would kill you and then put the? And then make sure you're comfy. So at any rate, and it, it well before we continue, it's also possible that people are mistaken of what Lizzie specifically said yes. too. Yeah, that um, is true. So that's also a possibility at any given time that, you know, the way I recall it isn't how it actually happened. Absolutely. So at any rate, she enters the house. She does not go to examine Mr. Borden, obviously, but now Alice Russell is returning and right behind her is Dr. Bowen. Dr. Bowen Alice Russell, the maid, and Lizzie and Adelaide Churchill are now the persons in the home. Dr. Bowen will go over and examine Mr. Borden. He will pronounce that he is dead. He will pronounce that he is not cold. So this is part of our timeline right here. Mm -hmm. He is not cold to the touch, which means he is very recently become deceased how Um, long until you get cold i literally was thinking that but i didn't want to say in case everybody 15 to 20 minutes i think there's another part of the timeline though that matches in with this remember the maid hears the clock strike 11 yeah Mm -hmm. that's about the last time that just before then both she and lizzie walked through the room Mm -hmm. mr borden's laying down right so 11 Lizzie comes back in 11.15. She had 15 minutes right. to do her dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so if I'm following along with the story here, the doc, the white guy that they wanted to be their doctor mm-hmm. wasn't home. So then they had to go down the street mm-hmm. and find some chick. And then they found another <laughs> doctor who was white, right? No, no. The Dr. Bowen's now returned his, his white oh, guy. Yeah, how long has that happened? The original white guy. The original okay. white guy that wasn't home first time. So this is at least, if Lizzie finds the body in 15 minutes, the maid goes, looks for the white guy, comes back, says he's not there. She says, okay, go get my friend. So the maid goes, looks for the friend, comes back. Then the white doctor comes in. This is at least 35, 40 minutes. No, but no, I'm not talking not. about that part. What I'm saying is... From 11 
to 11.15. But who else sees the body at 11.15? Well, no. Lizzie's out of the house, supposedly. Comes back in at 11.15. She calls the maid and says he's been hurt. Or 10 whatever. to well, 15 minutes. No, that's, 10 to 15 minutes. I'm not arguing that, but I asked how long does it take for a body to get cold, right? Because the time frame okay. between when the doctor is evaluating the body and when we assume the murder occurred the between 11 and 11.15. The yeah, and we'll we'll get to how we get an idea of what time this is in a minute, because now Dr. Bowen is going to ask about the whereabouts of Abby Borden, and this becomes an important part of the story. Lizzie says, I think she had a note to go visit a friend, but she might have come back. Then he asks about the whereabouts of Emma Borden, and Lizzie says Emma is in Fairfax, and she asks Dr. Bowen if he would telegraph to go notify Emma, and he leaves very shortly after to go do this telegraph, which is a little down the street, and the timestamp of that, I have it written down exactly, but it's about 1130 so is mm. when the telegraph was going to get yeah, sent. Yeah, so they know what time the telegraph was. Yeah. weird timeline. So, well, not I really. I mean, you think about it like this. Okay, if it's 10, 15 minutes past where um, we assume that Lizzie has asked the maid to go find somebody, right? Now, Dr. Bowen only lives across the street. So she's probably jogging, at least, maybe even running. So she runs across the street, knocks on the door, says, hey, you know, is Dr. Bowen there? The wife says, no, he's at a house call. I'll let him know that he's to go over there as soon as he gets back. She runs back across the street. We're probably talking maybe two minutes here. Mm -hmm. Lizzie says, okay, go find... Alice Russell. Alice Russell lives over around the corner on Borden Street. Probably would have taken, if she's jogging, maybe two minutes to get to her house. It's not far. None of these places are far. Adelaide Churchill's coming over. What's going on? A few seconds. You know, away. yeah. So Marshall so, Pillard, the head of the Fall River Police Force, gets a phone call at 11.15 a.m., from a John Cunningham, it's a news dealer nearby. Yeah. After he overheard a conversation between Lizzie and Mrs. Churchill, so he overheard that first conversation. Yeah. So mm -hmm. There's 11:15 at that point. Everybody, Lizzie's telling everybody, "My dad's yeah. whatever." Mm -hmm. Um. So that gives, and then at 11 is when the the maid hears the clock, and mm -hmm. so we know there's like 15 minutes in that span of time. Mm -hmm. So he had to be killed in that span of time, no matter how cold his body is, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it takes longer for the body. I know they. Yeah, I'm not they, an expert. They stick a thermometer yeah, takes, in your yeah. liver is what they do nowadays, yeah. and they they can tell from the temperature of the liver mm -hmm. about when you when you died, you know, how many hours and what have you. But he, there were so many time markers from mm -hmm. different people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gracia Googled it, I think. Yeah. And I did. We will, now. we will, as we proceed. And what do you think you got? Fix. Uh, well, I'm just saying it's, it's a quite a bit of time. It says like 18 to 20 hours. It can still be warm depending on okay. the environment. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like markers. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. You have other markers, but okay, so, yeah. the, the cold we'll, body thing we'll, is not as big of a marker. And when okay. you get to the autopsies, you're going to find out that, 
we're going to we'll, talk yeah, about the we'll, upper and we'll the lower intestines. We'll yeah. fix the time yeah. as we as we proceed. Um, yeah, there's it a lot, that long. There's a lot yeah. of testimony that can be used to actually fix a, a very close narrow window time frame of for his death. for his and her death there's actually some yeah it's a little wider for hers but for his we can fix a very pretty narrow window we can fix it within a few minutes mm -hmm. okay. you got telegrams you got phone calls to the sheriff yeah yeah sure. there's there's a lot All of, of time stamp yeah there's there's things that are time stamped there's a lot of things that can be used to basically yeah. say when all these murders probably took place after they've discovered andrew as we talked about briefly a second ago dr bowen asks about the whereabouts of both abby and emma now abby is supposedly visiting a friend but now lizzie says well she may have received i may have heard her come back in so i wish somebody would go look for her and dr bowen has of course left to go telegraph emma to let emma know emma's in fairhaven massachusetts visiting friends to let emma know that there's been this terrible thing that's happened so now what's going to happen is that Lizzie tells the maid to go search for Abby. And the maid says, I am not going upstairs by myself. So Adelaide Churchill goes and with her. They start climbing the staircase in the front area of the house. And they look into the guest room. You can see straight into there from the stairway. And they see the body of Abby Duffy Borden lying dead on the now, floor. Now, I tried to do that yesterday, as you know, David, because you were behind me. And I fell down, almost fell down the stairs. Oh, my gosh. So it wasn't. <laughs> I can't no, even he, picture David this. David saved my life. I did the exact same thing with yeah. you, Ed. I'm like, I don't know about this. Yeah. It would have like, been very hard to, like, notice. You have to be looking. What, what what you were looking at, like... Because only her feet maybe would have been yeah. sticking out by a little bit, too, from yeah. behind the bed, based on where the room is and where the body was, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, but at any rate, her and Churchill do discover they're very upset. They come downstairs. By now, Dr. Uh, Bowen is going to return, and he will go and take a look and declare that she is dead, but make... Um, some observations about the fact that the blood has clearly coagulated, and so that was another thing about right on the road. Borden. Yeah. yeah, he Andrew Borden's blood had not coagulated yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the officer returns now with Inspector Doherty and Francis Whiskey and Wixon, rather, and all three of these people are going to question Lizzie now. Alan and Wixon are fairly diplomatic. They're just asking her very basic questions. But it seems like Doherty does not like Lizzie's behavior and gets pretty aggressive in the questioning. He basically keeps asking her about her story of going to the barn. So let's, let's review a little bit right now about what Lizzie says happened when the murder took place. So after she had sent Maggie up for rest. She goes into the kitchen. She's ironing handkerchiefs. Yeah. So Lizzie goes into the kitchen. Um, so her flats are not hot yet. 
She is going to a party in Marion, Massachusetts, and she intends to stay over uh, towards the end of that, after their Sunday church, and go fishing. So she goes up into the barn claiming that she is looking for lead that she can use to make some sinkers for her fishing line. She says while she's up there that she, on her way, had grabbed some pears off the pear tree, and she was basically claims that she was just standing up in the barn looking out the window eating some of the pears hmm. and that at that point she heard some sort of disturbance she now what witnesses tell she described that disturbance as varies it can be anything from she said she heard a scratching to she she had said she heard a moan or a screaming again with her batman ears yeah. It is pretty far. Yeah, well, right? it's not that far from the barn. Inside the barn on the second level? Uh, it's hard to say. It would depend. We can get into like how acoustics. Yeah. So the the um the room No, Jill has a good point. No, Thank it is you. a point. It is it is a good point. Yeah. It, it is it is hard to understand how she would have heard anything because Mr. Bornham was likely killed in his sleep. And it's also worth bearing in mind that Bridget does not hear anything. She does not hear no. anything. And she's inside she's the house, inside right? The she's house. inside the house. Although so, maybe also asleep, right? Well, was, we, we don't know if if uh, Lizzie didn't hear something from the street and misinterpret it. True. We don't know. Yeah. But so. I'm, I'm stretching. But yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's possible she heard something else. It's possible that she was the guilty perpetrator and mm-hmm. she should have heard something. And she's, an she ex- she's an excellent um, liar. So. I heard the squish. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. I heard the sound. I need to take a shower, change my clothes. <laughs> but Lizzie's story is that she was in the barn and now she fixes a time that she's in the barn 20 to 30 minutes. We know that that would not have been possible. Okay. But she comes back inside. She will transition from the living room into towards the sitting room. Um, we'll have to put the map out but as she's looking into the sitting room she says is when she sees her father and calls for maggie so that's basically her story and she's for the most part sticking to it i was in the barn i ate three pears i was looking for three pears for for sinkers for for sinkers for fishing i'm just gonna sit here and eat three pears and she was going to marion massachusetts where they owned a farmhouse she has a party to attend with alice russell she's going to in fact she was actually supposed to already be there right but we'll get into that more when we talk about the trial but she is going to go fishing at the farmhouse is what she's at least claiming okay so so at this point they're they've discovered both bodies there's another doctor who has from the state who has also examined the bodies physically and he's come to the same conclusion that dr bowen has so now what they're going to do is photograph the crime scene and they bring in a photographer and he takes a couple photos and i don't know if we want to post these on our site they're easy to find they are gruesome Mm-hmm. But they got them in a yeah. PowerPoint presentation. They are they're not pleasant to look at, but if you are into that kind of thing, all the power to you. Well, I think it's important because yeah. it, this would have shocked Lizzie or right. whoever yeah. saw these people. Yeah, yeah. So. it was shocking. I mean, yeah. It was especially Dad. Yeah. 
And now we're going to go into what sounds shocking nowadays. So they bring the bodies into the dining room and do the autopsy right in the dining room. Oh, right then and there. Huh? Yep. No time like the present. <laughs> yep. Let's just so, do this with an audience. And they remove the stomach contents. Such a and this is, yeah, in well, the home. stomachs. Yeah, right in their house. And then they leave the bodies there until the You're buried. never going to look at that kitchen the same way again. No. You wouldn't I think mean. so. You're not going to look at mutton the same way again. So, I mean, so <laughs> they bring in... They take, well, they take out the stomachs and they, they jar them and they send them to the doctor to examine the contents. Are you going to say they left them there? No. Like... Well, they left the bodies <laughs> they there. They cooked them up because you said eat them. No. They no, did leave the bodies. They the bodies there until the burial. Until the burial. The bodies Ew. were never removed from that house until the burial. Gross. Um, and you slept in the same like they, they stayed slept there. in the common. same house. Yeah, that was common. It's so weird though. Can you imagine being like my dad's downstairs? Or like mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a nap. And somebody <laughs> actually came some down. Calm my nerves. Ah! <laughs> the night of the murder, somebody actually did come down and was seen because there were police officers watching the house and they saw the lantern go down the stairs into where the dining room was and they don't know who this was there were several people in the house that night we'll talk about that before we close today but somebody one of the people that was there went all the way downstairs and sat with the bodies for probably about an hour according to one of the girls gotta eat so creepy it reminds me like the night stalker when he would like stay at the house and eat do you remember would you watch that show He's like, oh, after I killed them, I made myself a sandwich. And you yeah. know, a very dear friend of mine died a few years back, and I was called to the nursing home, and I sat with that person for about an hour. Yeah. The the corpse mm-hmm. for about an hour, because yeah. I knew the person, and it's something I felt I had to do. Yeah. Um, so I could see it. I could see yeah. somebody doing that. It's interesting. I don't think all of them did it. No. Mm-hmm. But like the stomach like... had just been emptied. Like I feel like this is like a weird, this is not just a body laying next yeah. to you, right? There's no head, right? Maybe no, the, head, well, the, heads... the heads have not been yet decapitated. Yeah. Okay. That was a okay. surprise, actually. So maybe but, they're um, like covered like in a blanket, though, or something, too? Uh, when he was on the couch, he was, yeah, they would be covered. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah they were covered with a sheet. Yep. Yeah. So... So they're on the table. Of course, Emma has arrived home. Another important note here is by now, Lizzie has actually changed her outfit. Mm -hmm. She was wearing, well, we'll get the many descriptions of the dress, but she was wearing a blue dress. And now she has basically, depends on who you ask, if you ask some witnesses, she was advised to change the dress because it wasn't appropriate for all the people that makes sense. in her house to be seeing her like that. But she is now in a white and pink kind of getup at this point. So a little she's, bit more cheerful. Yeah, she's not in the type of dress that she was originally in that's going to become the notorious blue dress. So Emma, this becomes important later, will never have seen what dress Lizzie was actually wearing at the time of the murder. So, all right. So the house then gets searched pretty thoroughly. There are clothes in the basement with some signs of blood. Now, this is going to be the first time we're going to hear that Lizzie had flea bites. Well, that's actually not what flea bites referred to back then. 
she was menstruating. Oh. Oh, interesting. So, Why was it referred to? that was... Auntie Flo. Was... They, they called it yeah. flea bites, apparently. She had fleas. <laughs> what? So... I have to Google this later. Remind yeah, me. Yeah. Flea bites yeah, and your period. Could... What do they have to do with each other? I, I, I don't know. But in any way, right, the cloths that were bloody in the basement were explained to... Um, the police said it was just Lizzie's was having some menstrual time, and that even was today that. we guys are very nervous. Apparently, about it. yeah. <laughs> so, at any rate, she was menstruating, and there's two small axes that are going to be found and removed from the home. They are also located in the basement, and they're going to be sent to a chemist whose testimony is going to be very damaging to the prosecution, Dr. Edward Wood. Lizzie, Emma, Bridget, and Alice. So, David, what was, what was the police's hope that, that he would find? Well, I think they would hope that he would find evidence that there was a murder Right, weapon. there's blood on right. him and yeah. what have you. Yeah, okay. so... Yeah, so there's they send them to Dr. Wood, and we'll get into what Dr. Wood testifies to, but his testimony is going to be pretty hard for the prosecution to actually overcome. Mm. They're kind of tripping over their own witnesses at that point. So Lizzie, Emma, Bridget, and Alice are going to remain in the house after the police leave. However, Alice will leave that night. And John Morse, who has also returned by now, we're going to talk more about what he was doing that day in upcoming segment. But he's returned and he's going to stay the night. And that will bring us to this last part that I want to talk about, which are the accounts of the sick friend, because this becomes really incriminating to Lizzie. So when Andrew came home, one of the things that Lizzie had told Andrew was that her mother had received a note and that the mother had gone out to visit a sick friend. Um, presumably, if Lizzie was guilty, the obvious reason for telling him this is so that he doesn't go looking for, right, for his wife. Yeah. Is, right. So one of the things, though, that is very interesting is that when She's asked later about her whereabouts. She says, but I think I heard her come in. Hmm. So this becomes a little bit more incriminating. It's like, well, she went out to see a sick friend, but now now I think I, I heard her come in. Bridget, go, go, look, for, go look for Abby. Go yeah. find Abby's body. There is, however, and we'll talk about it, Adelaide Churchill actually told the and testified that Churchill, at least, learned of the mother leaving from Bridget. And she was quite certain that Bridget is the one that told Churchill because Bridget told her she left while I was dusting and did not tell me what to do when I was done the windows, which she normally would have done. Uh -huh. So it's interesting that one person, not most people, but one of the witnesses does say that Bridget was one of the sources of the note. What we do know about the note, there was no such thing ever found. Okay. Not on Abby's person, not anywhere in the house did they ever find a note. No one ever came forward to say that they were the person that delivered the said note. 
And no one ever came forward saying I'm the sick friend she was planning to visit. Wow, that's interesting. So we do not know. It sounds like the note would sound false. Yeah, it sounds like a lie. Yeah, so it would sound to be false. So you feel that um, Libby lied about the note? I do. I, I think she must have. I did read one theory that there were two killers hired. Yeah. Right. And again, there's so many of these. Um, and and they had the note. One of them had a note for her, followed mm. Abby upstairs after doing her in, took the note back. So no, that's very speculative. But It is speculative. What, what, the most interesting thing to me about the note is the fact that Adelaide Churchill, who is not known to be a liar, she's just a little old lady that lives across the way, and she's, you know, she's not making things up. And she says, Bridget told me that, you know, it was... Yeah, so, it, so it's weird because, yeah, nobody comes forward, but Bridget tells her this. Yeah, and Bridget denies vehemently that she ever knew anything about the note during all yeah, the see, trials. Yeah, I begin to wonder, that, thinking that Mrs. Churchill is not lying, but she's She may be easily confused, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, she definitely has a couple statements that Lizzie tells her that both of her parents are dead when she arrives right at the house. Right, right. And, of course, they don't know that Abby's dead yet. They don't even really know that Mr. Borden's dead yet, according Although to Lizzie. Lizzie may have known it if she yeah. had done it. Yeah. Correct, yeah. Yes. So, mm. well, and that would be the incriminating thing. Right. Like, how did you know your mother was dead when you hadn't even found, found the body yet, yet yeah. and you thought she was out? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, or sometimes, you know, people make things up. So, not yeah, to say that pressure, yeah. they do. They want yeah. to be part of the story. So, they say things that people have said. And yeah. and then later things have come forward that are not. not. Not to say that she did this, but, you know, she's yeah. a little old lady, maybe. Yeah. Well, the other thing that we haven't really talked much about, though, is that, you know, if a lot of the research we're doing is based on reporting at the time, that had to be really sensationalized because they were all about sales. And there was that's no such thing as TV. So they may have embellished, you know, and that kind of thing. And that's why most of my research actually comes from the actual testimonies. Yeah, okay. So if you look at my notes, I actually cite where you'll find it in the actual yeah. trial, inquest, and, you know, because it is important to understand that. If you just go by what the newspapers said at the time, there was basically two in Fall River at the time. One thinks she's guilty. The other thinks she's innocent, and they're both producing a narrative that basically supports that. And so that's why you really have to get the story from the testimonies, and there were plenty of them. So there was going to be an inquest. Mm -hmm. There is going to be a preliminary hearing. There'll be a grand jury. Now, of course, grand jury testimony is never released to the public, so we don't have the actual text of that. And then there'll be a trial that goes on for nearly two weeks. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of testimony. What these people actually said, now I focus a lot on what's said at the inquest and preliminary hearing, simply because this is where people's memories are going to be freshest, because this is basically right after it happened. If you think about the trial, it's nearly a year later, so that Mm -hmm. it's easier to get confused or kind of try to fill in blanks, like, you know, I'm not really sure how this particularly took place. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's important to think about, you know, how you tell this story if you just go by the newspaper right after the grand jury indicts Lizzie. 
there's a story and of course well you can also have like false memories right so if you've yeah. read enough newspapers mm -hmm. you've bought into a particular narrative too that can affect your testimony a year later right? and you, you know yeah. the people Definitely. at the inquest the preliminary hearing they had an axe to grind and they would be influencing these witnesses coming yeah. forward and saying really didn't you remember this Right. Um, and there was a lot of pressure brought to bear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So next week, Dave, where are we picking up the story? So we're going to pick up and we're going to learn all about the inquests and we're going to learn about the preliminary hearing and we're going to learn about what happened within the trial as well. Um, and uh, possibly this will be three parts. Possibly, yeah. It um, seems like there's so much to cover here. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. This is Jill, Gracia, Dave, Don, saying see you next week.